All right, if it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you guys can be with us here this morning as we uh, continue our series of Romans. And so if you have a Bible, will you please meet me in Romans chapter 6? We're going to look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and slip your hand up, keep it raised high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Just go ahead and keep your hand raised really high. Um, If you guys are looking for seats, there's a ton of seats here in the front right where I'm at. Um, if you guys want to come up here, um, Romans chapter 6. Now, as you turn there, i got a couple announcements. Um, this upcoming Wednesday, we're having First Wednesdays. And uh, First Wednesdays is our opportunity as a congregation to look at theology and culture. The topic that we're having this Wednesday is justice. Uh, looking forward to it. Jim Mullen, who oversees our First Wednesdays and, and um, um, kind of provides a, a, a context and a flow for us to walk through these topics. He's given, us, he's given three speakers, um, myself, Tyler Johnson, and Christy Hickel. Now, you guys don't know all three of us, but we all talk a ton. And so here's what Jim has done. Jim says, I'm not going to let you guys just be you guys. We're going to have accountability and give you guys kind of a clock. If you guys have ever seen a TED Talk, they're really short. Jim's given us all nine minutes. Um, I never talked that short, but I'm going to do it this, this Wednesday. Now, here's the accountability. It's not just me up here having a clock up here saying, hey, you need to stop, or the guys in the back saying, hey, wrap it down, because I usually ignore them. Um, this time, there's only going to be a clock on the screen, and so each speaker will have nine minutes. And so I'll be talking, uh, looking at a biblical view of justice. Christy Hickel, who's a part of our family here at this church, is also a Ph.D. candidate. Um, primarily, her research is in um, sex slave trafficking here in the city of Phoenix, and I've been able to partake in some of their events and what they've done, partnering with the uh, city of uh, Phoenix, the, the police department, and so forth, and the task force to address this issue here in our own city. And so you don't want to miss that. She may be the best speaker that we have that night. And then lastly is Tyler Johnson, who's going to come, and he's going to talk about white privilege. And so a lot of people have been saying, hey, what's white privilege? And it's like, hey, you should come this Wednesday, and you can understand about it. I asked to speak about white privilege, and then Jim wouldn't let me, and so whatever. So we have, <laughs> he's like, hey, would you want me to speak about black, black privilege? And I was like, I get it. <laughs> All right. So it must be a lot of fun. We'll have a lot of food here. 8, 6.30 to 8. You don't need to register for anything. Just show up here, 6.30 to 8 p.m. Um, you'll be able to check your, chid, your kids in, your children in at uh, child care, and so look forward to being with you guys. Um, second announcement is following that, or excuse me, the week following that. So in two Wednesdays, we are having our second meeting of uh, Redemption Women. And so the women will gather here in the morning as well as in the evening. Um, now, what is important about this, women, listen to me. Um, you need to go online to redemptionaz.com and then register your children which you are bringing. Because we do need to provide enough workers to be able to um, care for your, your, your children, especially if you're coming in the morning. So I know how we usually work. You're like, oh, that's two weeks ago from now. I'll, I'll take care of it. Um, let's do it as soon as we can so we can provide the workers to be able to help there. So looking forward to that. If you haven't gone before, show up. If you went last time, continue to show up. We're still trying to figure out how to do that best and so that our, our women can meet each other and be encouraged in God's word. And so those are the two things I have. Um, just in this, this room, after following this service, about 10 minutes following the service, we're having a connect class. So we'll have some, lights, some light snacks, and then we'll get together and, uh, with people who are newer to the congregation or been here for years but want to know what their next step is. You want to meet, hang out with some elders, as well as all of the pastors and staff from this congregation. Um, you could just stick around for that. Find myself or someone at this connect desk, and they'll point you to the right direction. But um, feel free to just show up even if you didn't sign up. That would be totally fine. Bring your kids. All right, let's look at Romans chapter 6. Um, we had a full service this morning. No one showed up to the 9 o'clock. My guess is because they were out late watching that game last night, which 
It's totally fine, I guess. <laughs> None of us had to be here at 9 o'clock. Um, there, there was, um, yeah, it was good to finally get another win. Unfortunately, their coach got fired, which that stinks, but um, it's happened to us plenty of times too. So <laughs> it's good to be on the other end of that. Romans chapter 6, getting back to the Bible. Um, if you're just joining us, uh, we, we have been walking through Romans for 23, 24 weeks now, and uh, we're going to continue to do that, and R- Paul has a, a transition here. I do believe that there's Romans chapter f- 1 through 5 has a different topic and theme, and then Romans chapter 6 through 8, so essentially what we'll be going through from now all the way to Christmas um, is Paul beginning to transition here, and so we'll pick up and looking at what Paul has for us here in these uh, f- short for verse four verses. And so three things I want us to look at that I believe that Paul has for us here. One is the impossibility of sin. Two is the, is the reality of our union with Christ. And then three is the certainty of walking in new life. And so the impossibility of sin, the reality of our union with Christ, and then the certainty of walking in this new life with Christ. So Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Um, one of the things that I love uh, about these Sundays, baby dedication, is I love babies. And, and the reason why I love babies is because, um, one, um, I have a couple kids who tell me they're no longer babies now, which kind of hurts my heart, so I might take your babies later in my family. No. <laughs> there's, there's just that sense where any of you guys who have had kids before, you know what it's like when, when, when you have that kid and that new light, just the excitement of it. And as a dad, you watch your, your wife go through, as a dad, you watch your wife, no, your husband. As a husband, you watch your wife go through um, having this child. And for me, as soon as our kids were born, especially the first, the firstborn, even the secondborn, um, you're excited. And everyone else in the hospital, even though there's plenty of people having babies, your baby's the most important. Like, you want the world to stop. Like, as soon as Noah and Eli were born, like, I ran out of the room. I wanted to tell everybody in the waiting room, hey, unto us, a child is born, right? It's like, his name will be Noah, and he will, I'm not really sure, but I'm so excited, right? You're sleepy, you're tired, because you, you didn't give birth, your wife did, but you're just, as not just, you're tired, right? And you're excited about this kid, and there's like, you want people to join in in your excitement, and, and at best, they're like, congratulations, congratulations, but they can't really get into the, the life of that kid that you want to get into, and Ryan said this earlier when he was praying for our dedication. I love that, that God dedicated Jesus to us, that he put him forth. What Paul is saying now, transitioning from Romans chapter 1 through 5, is God himself is giving us his only begotten son. He's giving us his only son. And then he's not just saying, look at him and get excited. He's saying, no, you share it in this life. That truly unto us as a child, his name will be Emmanuel, God is with us, and that we will be in him. And so kind of a breakdown here, Romans chapter 1 through 5 was basically about justification. That's a theological term of how we have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ Jesus and that we've been forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future, and we are justified before God. And and in Romans chapter 6 through 8 is now how do we live in this new life with Christ. 
This life that's been offered to us by grace in Christ, we've been justified. And now this new life in which we walk in by grace in Christ in which we are sanctified or progressively becoming more and more like Christ, both by grace. Paul's been writing this letter and in writing this letter, telling the story of the world. Um, telling a story about how God created this world and what happened when Adam sinned. That, that's kind of what last week's message was. That basically two big things happened when Adam sinned is that the power of sin broke into this world and it affected everybody and everything. And there was nothing we can do to get rid of that. And subsequently, because of the power of sin breaking in, that humanity was now lost or separated from God that we did not have communion with God, the very means and the reason, excuse me, of why we were created. And Paul addresses the first problem with the power of sin and saying, now in Christ, there is a new power that is broken in and that you are no longer in Adam. You are no longer enslaved to him and the power of sin no longer reigns over you. That was chapter one through chapter five. You've been justified. And then we address the second issue that we need to be reconciled to God but have communion with God to be in fellowship with him. He addresses in chapter 6 through 8 beginning this morning and saying, here's what he's doing. Is that he's not only restoring the relationship that was lost in the Garden of Eden, but he's saying that now this relationship is restored and enhanced in Christ Jesus. That now we can partake in the divine nature, that we can have communion with God. And so that's where we look into, but first Paul begins to ask a series of questions that communicate the impossibility of sin. And then after that, he shows this union that we have with Christ, and it's a reality. This this union is a reality. And then because of that union, now there's a certainty that we will, not maybe, we will, those of us in Christ, will walk in the newness of life. But first, the impossibility of sin. Verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul is doing what is called the diatribe here. That means he's asking questions to himself because he's assuming or anticipating the questions that would be asked by his audience. If you look up with me in chapter 5, verse 20, here's why he's asking this question. Verse 20 in chapter 5, it says, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And Paul is knowing that his traditional Jewish audience, they looked at the law in itself as a means to fix the problem of sin. They said, yeah, we were people in sin, but then God, through Moses, gave his holy, beautiful instructions. Now, if we can live up to those instructions, now we will be healed of the problem of sin. And Paul goes, no, that was not the, the, the purpose of the law. We said this last week, the purpose of the law was to show specific sin. It was to show the problem that we would need grace and reach out for God and the love in which he's offered us in his son, Jesus. And so the illustration that we had last week is that, um, that the law was like an x-ray machine, that it can show what's broken in your body, but it can't fix it. It can point to it and say, yeah, that, that's broken. You need a physician to come and perform surgery, and that's what God does in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he makes you new. He says that, that, that now, now a sin increased, grace increased all the more, it abounded. And Paul's saying, you need to understand that, that, that God is doing something, and no matter how much you've sinned, his grace abounds. And then Paul asks this question, okay, then what should we say then? Should I keep sinning in order that, that I could show that grace is good? Like, meaning, are there, are, there, are there people who are going, oh, that sounds good, so you mean 
I can do whatever I want to do and keep sinning, and I can say, God, you know, I'm doing this for you. I want your grace to be known, so I'm going to act like an idiot, and everyone, I'm just going to keep pointing to you. It's for your name, right? Like, that sounds silly, right? We would never say that, but functionally, we do that. And meaning we, those of us who are in Christ, we find ourselves doing that. We get chapters 1 through chapter 5, and we go, justification, all of our sins forgiven, past, present, and future, by grace, not by my works. God's never going to take it away. Yes, I can do what I want to do. And so some of us find ourselves being very comfortable in sin. Like, like you, 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 you say, well, God's grace will be for that. There's kind of this flippant mentality in life when it comes to walking in the gospel. And it's like, yeah, yeah, he's going to forgive me for that. So you have no problem coming into service hungover. I mean, hey, it was a big night last night, so hey, you know, it's okay for me to do that. No problem kind of waking up next to your girlfriend and being like, hey, let's, let's go to church, right? Like, no problem in that, and whatever your sins are, just no problem in it. And Paul goes, no, like you're saying, isn't that okay? Well, like, well, I know it's not okay, but isn't, I mean, don't I learn grace through that? Shouldn't I do that, that grace may abound? And here's Paul's answer in verse 2, by no means, like, exclamation point, he's going, by, by no means. Like, that, like he's, and in all of his energy, he's saying, no. I so desperate, like, I think Paul is saying, heck no. I wanted to say another word, but I won't. Heck no. Like, right? He's like, are you silly? Like, no way. And here's what he says here. He says, um, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He's saying there's an impossibility of sin. This is the kind of rhetorical question. How can we have died to it, still living in it? De- dead people don't live. And if you've died to sin in Christ Jesus, then how could you live in it? You see, Paul is trying to get us to get in on the life with Christ. He's, saying, he's, he's communicating something. Those in Christ Jesus, you died to sin. And what he's saying is, he's, he's, here's what he's not saying. Let's deal with that first. He's not saying that as a Christian, you're not going to want to sin anymore. I've shared that with you before, how this guy who I first met when I was a Christian says, now that you're a Christian, you're never going to want to sin again. And uh, yeah, it's always bothered me. I haven't seen that guy since. I think God just said, dude, get out of here. <laughs> the second thing that it, that it doesn't mean is it, it doesn't mean that somehow as a Christian, you're going to get, you, you know, you, you're going to sin less and less and less and less. And then like you're going to get so close to Jesus that he's just going to take you to heaven right? Sometimes we think that that's what the walk with Christ is like. It's us, us becoming more and more like Christ means that we sin less, and then you talk to people who've walked with Jesus for decades, and they're like, listen, I know I love Jesus, but I see more of the depth of my sin. And so Paul's not saying that. He's not saying that, that sin in itself, um, that it's not powerful. It's not, it's not what he's saying. He's saying this. Um, since you've died the sin in Christ, that sin once had the place of glory, that it once had authority, and that it was not only powerful, but it had power over you. You were enslaved to it. You were in bondage to it. All of these image, pictures that Paul paints for us and the Bible paints, he says it's been broken. But there's a new power that has come in in the, in the reign of Christ. And that when Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was raised and he ascended to heaven and the power of the Spirit came out, that that broke the power of sin in your life, that you no longer have to submit to it. You no longer have to give yourself to it. And so here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying when it comes to sin, um, it no longer has the restraint on your life that it once had. You're free. And it doesn't fit in your life. No restraint and it doesn't fit. 
Uh, two, two things that kind of show this. Um, one is if you've ever seen someone who's had shoulder surgery before, um, for whatever reason, I kept getting hurt, so I had three shoulder surgeries on one shoulder. And what would happen is they'd put you in this sling for several months, and then you'd rehab it, and you get better. But it's inevitable that every single person that's had shoulder surgery, as soon as they're, they're healed and they get the sling off, they still kind of walk around like this. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? Are you like ushering somebody? You're going to give me some footage? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot, right? And you're just so used to being there that you kind of stay there. Paul's saying, mm-mm, that has no longer restraint on you. You're free in Christ Jesus. The second point where he's saying is, is he's communicating that it doesn't fit. It's like those, those favorite pair of jeans you have and you've had for a long time. And they're, they're old, but they're so comfortable, and you keep wearing them. And, like, they have holes in all t- sorts of inappropriate places. And you're like, if I just wear the right boxers, it's going to work, right? And they're getting tighter and tighter and tighter, right? And what Paul is saying is, hey, they don't look good on you anymore. <laughs> I'm going to be a good friend. <laughs> it doesn't fit, Right? He's saying sin in itself, it doesn't have the same refrain and power that it once had. You're free in Christ Jesus, and it doesn't fit in your life. There's the impossibility of sin. And you say, well, I still sin. Paul is not saying that you won't still sin. We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. Um, He's talking about the power and the reign. You don't submit to it anymore. You're free. And a Christian will not continue to live in sin. And you say, that's a bold statement. I don't say that because I'm a bold person. I say that because of what God says. And so, so here's kind of the three scenarios here. If a Christian is continuing to live in sin, this is what God's going to do. He promises to do this because he's a loving father. He will discipline you in whatever means it takes, and he will make your life miserable until you repent and trust in him and walk in his grace because he loves you that much. Just like any good parent here is not going to let their kids just run out into the middle of the street. Even if you've got to snatch them up, you snatch them up. It may hurt them, but like, I love you too much just to say, hey, go out. There's the light rail, right? You'd never do that. Paul, Paul, Paul says you'll discipline you. And some of you guys may be there, on all jokes aside, some of you may be there, like your life is miserable right now because it could be the sovereign hand of God saying, come back and walk in grace. You're living in sin and you don't need to, you don't have to anymore. I've done a work in Christ in your life. Come back. And then the, the second thing is, is that, um, is what God will do with those who continue to live in sin, we see in the Bible, he'll just take you out. I mean, you, you, you see in Acts chapter 5, there's Christians. There's this guy, Ananias and Sapphira. Um, it says him and his wife. The wife comes in, and she lies about something, and then she just drops dead, and they take her out. And then and their husband comes in, he lies about the same thing, and he drops dead. And the whole church is like, dang, God is serious, right? And, and, and your Sunday school teacher was like, so the, the moral of the story is don't lie. God can take you out. <laughs> there's a... That happens. And then you read in 1 Corinthians, you see that Paul is saying, listen, you guys are defaming the table. I mean, like the table of the Lord's Supper, like you're coming without reverence and you're not trusting in God and you're just kind of, one guy's getting drunk off the wine and the other guy's hungry and like, what's going on? And he goes, it's to the point that some of you are dying. Meaning, not that they've lost their salvation, but God's going, that's enough. And he takes them out. So discipline will take you out. The third is probably the worst. And so listen in on this. The third is that you've been around Christianity. You've been around the gospel. You've grown up. You maybe know some verses. You give in the offering boxes. You sing. Maybe you've been in full-time ministry, but the gospel's never penetrated your heart. You may have think that it had. You may have walked down the aisle. It's never penetrated your heart. And you think you know everything, and everything becomes redundant to you. You're like, oh, I know all these things. And I, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of over it. I mean, I'm kind of living an okay life. I'm fine. Okay, that's the most dangerous because you have the potential to be inoculated to the gospel. 
Meaning it just doesn't even take anymore. It, it, it's kind of like, you know, African-Americans in our country, like we, we, we don't get malaria because from Africa, they built up a, a, a deal with um, a protection to be able to, pr- uh, to prevent them from that. But what, they, what we can get is sickle cell. And, 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 and so they usually say, don't, don't marry someone else who has sickle cell because you can get that trait. But we've blocked mar- amer- uh, malaria. And, and some people who would label themselves as Christians, good church-going people, would say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. But what you've really done is your, your body, your soul become immune to the gospel that it doesn't take. That you've pushed it away so much that you think you, are, you have it, but you really don't. And, and, and Paul's saying, that, that's, that's, that's the worst place to be. We said in the Bible, that's the worst place to be. Paul, Paul is saying, um, the place to be is in the position of grace. The place to be is in the position of understanding who you are in Christ. Because that's a silly question to ask, shall we keep on sinning? No, it's an impossibility. Like something, you have died in Christ Jesus. It's an impossibility to sin. And here's what he says. It's an impossibility not because of your moral effort. It's an impossibility not because of the family you were raised in. It's an impossibility because of the reality of who you are in Christ. It's an, impo- it's an impossibility because of the reality of God's grace and reign in you as you are in Christ, this reality of this union with Christ. Would you read with me here in verse 3? It says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Paul's asking this question. He's like, Do you not know? It literally means, are you ignorant of this? And, and he's not trying to demean them. I think he's just saying, you guys have to know this. Like, this is important. And what Paul is talking about here is a truth called the union of Christ. It's a reality that we are in Christ Jesus. Now, you may not get all of this today, but we're going to come back next week and a week after and really unpack this. But he's saying there is a reality of the union with Christ, meaning that you are in Christ Jesus. He goes, do you not know that you were, those of you who were in Christ were baptized in his death? Now, now this, this truth of union with God, this begins to do something in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian. Um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here because you, you get to see kind of the core of what we believe, this concept of grace, of God's unmerited flavor, favor of him giving us himself, and not just giving us himself, but us being hidden in him, this in Christ. Paul really gets this because when you read the Pauline letters, you cannot escape the fact that he's constantly putting two words together, in Christ in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, again and again and again. And I hope that we teach it today that, that now when you read through the scriptures, you can't help but see it. Like it's all over the place. It, it's kind of like when I, when I first became a Christian, um, I was having a hard time living in Tempe. The friends that I had just weren't, weren't good influences. So I thought, you know, I'll move away from Tempe. I'll move really, really far away and just finish my last semester of school. So I moved to, to Ahwatukee, right? So way, 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 right? <laughs> And the 10 freeway was always crowded driving into uh, to school, so I would go down Ray Road and go up Rule. Now, when you're driving down Ray Road, and I believe it's Ray Road, um, there's a mansion there. I don't think I've ever seen this. And, and the reason why this is amazing to me is because I don't think I've ever seen a mansion, like in real life. And I had driven down this street plenty of times. It just so happened there was an accident in the street or something. There was traffic. And I looked over, and it's a normal neighborhood, and there's this fence, and it's like, it's a mansion. It's like the Fresh Prince of Tempe, right? It's like, this is, like, I, this is amazing. Like, look at that. And every time I drove, I'd look at it, and I would drive around it. It's massive. It's huge. And it's, it's just like, I could not know. Every time I drive past there, it's like, there's that mansion. I, I, I hope that when we understand this reality of union with Christ, that every time we go to the scripture, we'd go, wow, this is amazing. This is massive. This is important. 
It's the reason why Paul keeps saying, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. There, there, there's pictures of this. Um, we're going to deal with the baptism part here, but baptism as a word, Paul is not talking about actual baptism, though I think he's alluding to it. Baptism as a word. Baptize means to immerse, to identify. He's, don't you know that you are identified with Christ and his death? Meaning, don't you know what everything that is true of Christ now is true of you? Whatever is said of Christ now is said of you? Um, like this, this picture that, that we see even in Scripture, right? Jesus paints this picture um, by, in John 15 by giving us the picture of uh, the vine and the branches. Jesus says, you are, I'm the vine and you're the branch. I'm the vine and you're the branch. And the way that you will live and the way that you produce fruit is by being in me, by abiding in me. And that word abide, it means to live in. It means to remain. It means to stay. It means to be next to. It means to be loyal to. And so in a sense, the, the nearer we are to Christ and who he is and what he's done by his grace, that the more we actually have the life of Christ in us as we are in him. It's a picture there. And Jesus says that over and over again. And another picture that we can understand is the picture of marriage, that you have a husband and a wife, and they're one, and they're together, and there's this kind of this mystical mystery union. And even Paul who wrote half of the New Testament and writes about these huge theological concepts that when he writes about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking marriage is this, marriage is that. And he gets to the point and goes, it's a, it's, a, it's a mystery. We don't even know, right? And every married person's like, yeah, I agree with that, right? I'm not really sure. And there's this picture of like two becoming one. And Paul begins to communicate that through this picture of saying, don't you know that we are in Christ Jesus? Um, he, he, he's saying, I'm trying to transition in you from seeing justifications, chapters 1 through 5, to now living in this sanctified life. That the fact that you've been freed from the power of sin, but now you're welcome into the family of God. So justification, we said, was legal terms, and we used plenty of illustrations of the courtroom. But we said the gospel in itself and grace it is far more than just being justified. It's nothing less than that. It's nothing less than a transaction. It's nothing less than a bloody cross and an empty tomb, but it's far more than that. Meaning when you, when you look at, when you look at um, um, just a legal transaction that happens in justification, and you think of it in our own context, if you've ever been to a courtroom, you know that there's, there's certain levels, right? You go to the courtroom and you're, you're acquitted of your sin because you have an advocate in Christ Jesus. He takes your place. He speaks on your behalf, and you're free. And then you kind of usually go live your life. Paul is saying, wait, 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 stay here. Stay in this picture, right? You're free in this courtroom, but there's also a fourth floor usually. And sometimes on the fourth floor, it's no longer you're free from some crimes you've committed, but the fourth floor is the adoption room. I don't know if you've ever been in an adoption courtroom. Uh, a couple years ago, my um, brother-in-law and his wife, my, brother's, my, my wife's brother, they had adopted a kid. One, they adopted a kid when he was two weeks old. And they had him, and it was a long process, long process to the time he was almost five years old that it was finally time for them to stand before a judge. And they brought the whole family in because it was a ceremony. And we're, we're not being free of sin, that they brought JT in, and they, they brought him before the court and before the, before the judge. And he says, this is your family, and they bring him up. And he doesn't really know kind of what's going on. And they said, this is your family. They're legally your family. Your name is changed. Your status completely changed. Everything that belongs to this family. So whatever your dad has, whatever how much money he has, whatever affection he has, whatever love he has, is completely yours. It it's, can never be changed. You'll never go back to your old family. And then we go home and we ate and we celebrated. 
The picture that Paul is trying to get us is saying, we are now in the family of God. The status that we had as sinners is gone. The, 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 the wrath that we had, that God's wrath was towards us, is completely gone. That the judge has taken off the robe, and he's invited us into his family, and he is our father. And not a distant father, and he's not a dad that we're not really sure because we haven't seen him in a long time. It's like that family um, feeling you get when you've seen people in your family that you haven't seen in a long time that you love. I remember my grandmother was alive, and we wouldn't see her, and we would, we would drive to her house. We wouldn't see her for months. And as soon as we got there, she was always standing at the door and saying, baby, come here, and would just give me this hug and, you know, take my cheeks and all, you know, just kind of do all those things. And, and I would just love it. And even though we hadn't talked, it was like, this is familiar. Paul is saying, that's the type of life now you're entering into. Don't you know that when you're in Christ, you have all those things? Um, another way that, that Paul says this, if you hold your place in Romans and turn a few pages to the right to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's not going to be on the screen, so you have to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he's talking about this union with Christ, that Christ becomes these things for us. We don't have to go looking for these things. We don't work hard for these things. We receive justification by grace and everything else by grace and through grace. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. And because of him, this is because of the love of our Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So he becomes our wisdom. We don't have to go find wisdom. Jesus is our wisdom. He becomes our our righteousness. We don't have to be self-righteous. We don't have to try to become or be better or be good-looking Christians. No, we are already found in Christ. He's our righteousness. That we don't, he's our sanctification, which is a process and the progressive working of his spirit to make us more and more like Jesus. We have that in Christ Jesus. It's already ours to be received by grace. That he becomes our redemption, meaning he's redeeming not only us, but all of humanity in this world by faith in Christ Jesus. That we have all these things. We need to stop striving and trying to earn something which is freely ours in the work of Christ Jesus. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, for I've been crucified with Christ. He goes, this guy's, this guy's dead, but I, and I no longer live, he says, but Christ lives in me, meaning he's talking about this union. Christ lives in me, and the life that I live, I live in confidence and faith of the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. He goes, I, I still live, but it's not me. Like, that guy's dead. Like, he's not around anymore. And Paul is saying, don't, don't you get that's what it means to be a Christian? We, when it comes to baptism, I don't think we, we, we understand the significance of it. Um, what Paul is saying is something happens spiritually, and then when we get baptized, it becomes a symbol of that. Meaning we share in Christ, like what is his is ours. Um, when when um, I was in Mexico in college, probably, a, um, probably like a short-term missions trip, uh, <laughs> and I... I, I uh, <laughs> At least that's what I remember. And then there was, uh, there was this, I ran out of money, right? Like feeding homeless people. And then <laughs> my, I had to contact my mom and go, I don't, I don't have any money and I need some money. And so she put money into my account, right? And so you've probably had that experience before where someone wires you money and you have it. And then my mom's like, listen, it's yours. You don't pay it back. It's just yours, right? Like, just take it. And then now I can go with my own card and I access that. Um, and that way, that's how we share in Christ. That the love of the Father that is given to the Son, God's not saying, hey, this is a contract. 
like you do this, and then later there's going to be interest. I want you to kind of do this, you know, evangelize about six people, and then you'll pay it back, right? No, no. He says, it's free. It was all mine to begin with. I'm going to give it to you through my son by the power of the spirit, and you can access as much as you want when you want it. It's yours because you were in Christ. Like, you don't take it. It's not, it's not you. It's in Christ. And he's not saying, I'm going to ask for something back. No, it's in Christ. You are identified with him. You are baptized in him. The love and the, and the fellowship, the love that the Father had for Jesus for all eternity. He says, I have it in you. Oftentimes, we think that we're going to stand before God, and it's going to be us, and then Jesus next to us. And Jesus is going to be like, yeah, Dad, he's with me. Like, I can get him in. Like, you know, like, he can work for us. And like, you know, and we kind of like, maybe Jesus kind of gets us into the family business or something like that. Or, or, or better, what we're often taught, and this is a little bit better, is that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and we stand before the Father and he sees Jesus' righteousness, which that's closer. But what really what Paul is saying in this, being baptized with him, being in union with him, is the reality of Jesus stands before the Father. And every single one of us that's in Christ, we are in him. And when Jesus is looking, Father is looking at Jesus, he sees Jesus and all of us in him. And he says, get in my family. Like, get in on this. This is completely a family affair and of love and of celebration and joy because he's already dealt with our sin. Now we have what we lost in the garden that is the forgiveness of sin as well as communion with God. Amen? And you say, well, what about baptism? Why do we get baptized? Because once God's already done that, and what Paul says here in verse 3, he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Meaning we, we show that picture of us being baptized. It's just a symbol. And, and, and baptism in the first century, guys, let, let me just tell you what this meant. In the first century, when people were getting baptized, they were literally telling their family, they were telling their country, they were telling Caesar, I am no longer under your authority and I'm no longer who I used to be. I will no longer be identified by the values and principles of this culture. I would be identified with Jesus. And it was a proclamation. It wasn't like, yeah, you know, like some of us, we've been baptized like several times, and it's usually like, oh, I didn't take that time. Maybe I'll try this other church, and I'll get baptized there because their water's purified. Dang it. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm going to go to this other church, right? And you keep trying um, and, and just maybe to take this time. I don't know about you. Like, I've been, the phrase, I've been double dipped. Like, I got baptized as, a, as an eight-year-old. And honestly, the true story, the reason why I got baptized as an eight-year-old, I was in a church service, and the uh, children's director showed us this video about people disappearing, right? And, and then there was this thing called hell. And he's talking about hell and people disappearing. I'm like, I want Jesus, Right? <laughs> And so they bring the kids back into the service, and they did this altar call and the baptism. And I walked down the aisle. My mom saw me. She was weeping. I was like, I'll be there too. I'll be there in heaven. You know, and I, you know, you laugh at that, but it was true. And that's not to say that an eight-year-old can't make a legitimate profession of faith. I was scared of going to hell. I'm like, if that, I'm not getting left behind. Like, that's not, not me, right? And so I just walked down the aisle. And then when I begin to really understand the gospel, I got baptized. And it's beautiful. And we're going to have baptisms. We have baptisms here all the time. We're going to have another one on October 27th. I just throw that out there. But it's beautiful. And it's a symbol. And it's a symbol that communicates a reality, a reality of the union you have with Jesus. His life, your life. His death, your death, the sin. His power of the resurrection by the Holy Spirit, your power that you can walk into. It's, it's like this ring. Those of us who are married, we have a ring or now some people have tattoos around their, their finger. But this ring is just a symbol 
Like, right, you don't, you don't, like, I didn't look at Holly and go, ooh, I want to marry you because, you know, I want a ring. I want to wear a ring. Will you marry me, right? It's like, no, like, I, I, I wanted to be, have a union with her and be one with her, you know? I wasn't, I wasn't, it, it, and this just became a symbol, and so it, it shows, like, hey, I am one with somebody. Like, I'm not available. Like, and I have to tell all these girls all the time, like, listen, I'm not available. <laughs> I got to stop. <laughs> I promise I wouldn't do stand-up all day. Um, I'm not available, so that's what it is. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it, it, baptism is beautiful. And the other sacraments we do is we do communion. They're beautiful. But they all make sense because of our union that we have in Christ Jesus, that we've, we've died with him. It's mystical and true. You may not feel it all the time, but it's an objective reality. The reason why there's an impossibility for us to live in sin is because we were in Christ, our Lord and Savior, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen? This, this last point, the certainty of new life. So I want to get a little practical. Um, if you read with me in verse 4, it says, We were buried, therefore, with him in ba- by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness, newness of life. Here's what Paul is saying. We were buried with him in death. And in the same power that raised him from the dead, in the same way, just like the Father in glory raised him from the dead, that he's taking our lives and he's raising us. Meaning the power and reign of sin has been broken in because the power and reign of Christ and grace is here. And now it is within God's people. And the kingdom of God, which is not yet fully here, has broken in in the life of Christ and given by the Spirit to the life of God's people who by faith trust and walk in Jesus. Paul is saying now we get to walk in this new life. This idiom of walking by faith or walking in the new life or walking by the Spirit, Paul uses often. But but, but first, he shows that something has changed, meaning God has done something by grace to do something to enable this change to happen, meaning we are still relying on his work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says that you are a new creation. He goes, every man, every woman, every child that's in Christ is a new creation, That language there speaks of the breaking in of the new life that is to come, um, the new kingdom that is to come, meaning that you are not just a better self of yours. You're like the better you are, the better version of you, like the the upgraded version, like, you know, like God downloaded this, this software and like now you're a little bit better. It's like, no, you're completely different. It's not like we said last week, it's not giving another chance or getting another start as as cool as that would be. It's a totally new life that God has done something in the life of his people by the spirit in which we can walk into. And so Paul gives us that picture that we can walk now in the gospel. And we can grow in what is called sanctification. That means how we grow into the image of Christ and looking like Christ now, now, if you're anything like me, and this is why I want to get a little bit practical, and we'll continue this next week, is that you're tracking with justification by grace. I've been made right before God. I did nothing to earn it, and not by my works. God gives me his son, Jesus, by the Spirit. I'm completely free by grace. But then when it comes to sanctification, it's like, okay, I'm justified by grace, but then I'm sanctified by good works? And we go, no. And you go, okay, it's all God's grace, and I don't do anything? We go, No. What are you saying, <laughs> right? And that, that's been my wrestle as a Christian. Sorry, I'm just spit. Um, um, that's been my wrestle as a Christian is going, okay, I get this first part, Romans 1 through 5, yes. Romans 6 through 8, and man, for the past couple of years, God's been working and teaching me. It is still by grace, 
but it's not void of works. You work really hard to grow in Christ. You just don't earn it. You don't earn it. You're not doing something to to somehow get his attention. God is saying there's an indicative in scriptures, meaning what God has done, and then the imperatives, what we're called to do, they flow from what God has done. The only way that we can actually do in faith and in love and in power what God's called us to do is by looking at his faith and his love and his power that we have in Christ Jesus. Meaning the same grace that brought us near to the Lord to know him and have fellowship with him is the same grace and power and authority and love from God that allows us to grow in fellowship. Meaning this side of heaven, what Paul says, we see dimly. Though we see God, we see dimly. But then face to face, and the way that we are growing is not that we are becoming less and less sinful, but we're becoming more and more renewed in our minds after the likeness of Christ, and we worship him and we adore him. And so everything that we do becomes what is called a means of grace. Meaning the way that we grow in this new life is a means of grace. Maybe you've heard it called spiritual disciplines. Meaning that's the hard work that we do, but those in themselves are not an end. Here's what I mean. Some of you, you've had past experiences with Jesus. You've had justification, which is a one-time act, and it was beautiful. It happened at a camp. It happened when you were in college. It happened being a part of this congregation. Maybe some of you are really still new in your faith and and you point back to that date or the season when God just did this work and he cracked open your heart and poured out his love and you said, oh, it was good. And then you've kind of grown from that and you haven't had anything since and you've been eating off leftovers, putting it back in the microwave, trying to eat it over and over again and it's just not the same. And part of it is is because you really don't have a consistent growing relationship with Jesus in which you you put yourself in ways that you may receive his grace meaning you don't really consistently read your Bible. That seems like Christian jargon to you. You did it before. You don't pray and get on your knees and just speak to your Lord and your God and your Father. You come on a Sunday, maybe that's the most that you do in a means of grace. You don't confess sins to each other, and you kind of have this static life. And so when I get up to teach or anyone teaches you read, you kind of like, ah, oh, I kind of know this, I kind of know this. And it's like, no, you show that you really don't. And on the flip side, you have people who are like, you're just kind of religious about it. You pray and you read and you give and you fast and you come on Sunday and you're leading communities and you're doing a bunch of things, but you're doing all those things, but you don't understand the goal of those things. Those things are an end of themselves to you. So you talk about your quiet time and what God's teaching you and what he's doing and the books you're reading and all of the good things and you major on those things and both of you are missing it is that one, this person is missing it because when it comes to the newness of life, they still think new life is something that you're supposed to live as an infant instead of mature and grow into it and understand the beauties of this world. Um, And over here, you're missing it because you think it's just somehow you're doing these things and somehow God's going to fix your sin. We've all been there before. You have a particular sin you're struggling with and you go, if I read more, I will probably do that less. If I pray more, I'll probably do that less. And so it becomes this very pragmatic um, like approach to just fixing your problems. And somehow you think doing those things are going to fix your problems. Somehow doing these practices are going to they're gonna, they're gonna make you holy. And listen, those things don't make you holy. Jesus makes you holy. Only the gospel does. Only the power of the Spirit does. And so w- what are we to do to walk in this new life? Well, you have means of grace. And the reason why we call them, and that's why for centuries they've called them means of grace where they're the means of things of which we can do to posture ourselves spiritually to put ourselves in a place to receive God's grace. They're things in which we do. So no longer do we just read our Bibles to read our Bibles, but we know that Jesus meets us there. 
and we understand who he is and his grace, and we're able to receive his grace. We pray because we trust that the spirit of Christ meets us there with grace. We come and we fellowship together and hear the, the teaching of God's word because the Holy Spirit meets us there. You ever had sermons where you sit in and you go, is he talking to me? No. <laughs> like, like, and you're like, man, the spirit is like, wow, like, that must have been the spirit because, like, I don't even know Ricardo, right? And that's like... That's true, right? And so we do those things in order as means. We don't delight in those things. We delight in what God gives us through those things, and that's the grace that we need. It'd be like this. My, my, kids, my kids do this. They have cups. It could be the same cup, but one says Eli and one says Noah. I can put apple juice in the, same, like in the cup, and if it's like Eli's cup and I give it to Noah, he goes, Dad, I can't drink that. I'm like, dude, why? He goes, Eli, it's a cup, man. Just drink it. No, 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 no. Like, I had a drink from that cup. And it's like, dude, it's not about the cup, right? You said you were thirsty, drank it, right? Um, some people over here, it's all about what you're doing and how you can do it and how great your means are when really it, it's, it's the grace that you're trying to get. And so we major on the grace. And so a, a way to, to communicate this, keeping consistent with the spirit of our time, I'll give you a football illustration, right? Um, is a wide receiver in football runs a route and runs to get open so the quarterback can throw it to him. Now, the receiver runs as hard as he can and he puts himself in a position that he may be able to receive the pass. Now, here's the thing. He knows without a shadow of doubt it is the delight and the responsibility of the quarterback to deliver the ball to him. In the same way, it is a delight of God to dispense his grace to us. Through scriptures, he showed us that it is obedience Jesus says this, you want to make your joy complete? If you love me, you'll obey my words, and your joy will be full. It is through reading God's word and meditating on it. We're such a quick-fix culture that we don't meditate on God's word and just sit. There's been one verse that has been like, God has been reckoning with this in John 14, 23, and he says, if you love me, those who love me will obey my word, and the love of the fa- they will have the love of the Father, like the Father will love them. And then he says this in the second part of it. He says, and then we, the Father and the Son, we, we will make our home in him. And I thought, ooh, that sounds good. And then I look at the reference verse, and it goes to Revelation 3, uh, verse 20. And it says, it's that verse that says, I stand at the door and knock, which we've used for evangelism all the time, which is not what it's talking about. He says, I stand at the door and knock, and that he who lets me in, I will eat with him. And you know, in that culture, eating has always meant like, I am so with you, and I want everybody else to know it. And it all starts with this love, right? And I've just been meditating on that. And some of us need to read, and, and God may have something else for you, that, he's, that you meditate on this word, right? But you're just a receiver. You're picking up these things, and you're running, but you're trusting that it's God's delight to give you his grace. And it's in that grace, the same way that we got into the kingdom of God, it's that same grace that we now grow into the kingdom of God. It is not void of hard work and good works. It's just the hard work and the good works don't earn it. Amen? Paul was saying, if you... If you understand this union with Christ, first you can look back and say, there's an impossibility for me. There's an impossibility for sin to overtake me. My God loves me too much. When you understand this union of Christ, you realize there's a new life that God has had for me. And that I will do the means of grace, not trusting in those means, trusting in my God and asking him every time you open up your Bible, Lord, meet me here. 
Every time you come to the table, you confess your sin, you thank him for his broken body and his shed blood, and you say, Lord, meet me here. Every song that we sing, Lord, meet me here. Every prayer, Lord, meet me here. When you get together in your redemption communities, Lord, meet us here. Um, and so that we may delight in him and stop being crusty, stale Christians that somehow forget that we are in love with Jesus because he first loved us. The way that we grow into this is by our affections being so moved by him with the truth of the gospel and his son Jesus that we realize what God has done for us and in Christ who God is in us and through us and who we are in Christ. Amen? Let's pray.